Thank you for downloading this podcast and welcome to Arrow Bandwidth, the podcast to help the channel better understand the trends, technologies and concepts facing the IT industry today. I'm your host, David Fern. We hope you enjoy this Arrow production. And please subscribe. Thanks. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Arrow Bandwidth. And uh, this is actually an Arrow first, because as well as being um, accompanied by my regular co-host, Mr. Richard Holmes. Hello. We have a, uh, a mystery caller. <laughs> online, online one. <laughs> online one, all the way from sunny... Is, is it Stockport at the moment, please, Scott? It is, yes, and not so So Not so sunny Stockport. It's Scott Murphy. Uh, Scott, would you like to introduce yourself and your role in Arrow? Yeah, thank you, Dave. So, um, as Dave says, my name is Scott Murphy. I'm uh, responsible for the UK cloud strategy from a uh, sales perspective, working with uh, our illustrious uh, vendor teams such as uh, Richard Holmes & Co. to help drive our cloud strategy forward into our partners and our vendors. Awesome. Awesome. So, the purpose of today's podcast is to discuss um, a little bit about um, how we've seen cloud evolve over the last sort of uh, last six months to a year, really. Um, I think certainly maybe two years ago, cloud was was becoming mature, and some would say pseudo um, commoditized in the IS space. Mm-hmm. Um, but SaaS and I felt SaaS adoption was much more in the consumer space. So you know the enterprises were looking at. The AWS type offerings, Google, um, Google Cloud, uh, software, things like that. Mm-hmm. Whereas in today's marketplace, it feels a lot more like there's been a real sort of acceptance of enterprise SaaS. Yeah, and I think you're starting to see vendors push sort of SaaS solutions and services into the into the channel. Uh, and as a distributor, and I don't know how you're fi- well, I think I know how you're finding it, Scott. But my interest in sort of first request for comment from you would be you know are you see are you seeing similar are you seeing you know our our existing vendors now wanting to work in the channel more with us around you know pass sas and not just ias not just infrastructure as a service yeah definitely 100 and um i think if you if you look at arrow's traditional software vendors you know that that pivot to annuity it's uh, a phrase that steve robinson uses quite a lot is it's definitely you know, becoming more and more common within, within the software vendors, you know, in particular uh, in the network and security space as an example, where the you know, majority of those vendors have kind of stated intentions and strategies to, uh, to move to the subscription recurring model uh, from a SaaS business, uh, kind of following the lead of you know, the likes of Salesforce as kind of the, you know, the, the market leader in SaaS. Uh, again, all vendors recognize that that's a you know a huge opportunity and actually a direction that they need to go into uh, rather than commodi- almost commoditize on products. Yeah, I mean, I think you're starting to see not you know not just uh, not just Salesforce, which I'm sure you know everybody's familiar with, but you know when you look at some of the big enterprise software and technology houses, people like SAP, they've got their by design uh, program. You know, you see in uh, Adobe with their marketing cloud. You see massive investment in acquisitions and news, new services being stood up by people like IBM. You know, uh, we mentioned it on a previous podcast, David, when we're doing the roundup of H1. You know, Oracle's acquisition of NetSuite. It's just, 
Yeah, it, it almost seems like applications galore. You know, SaaS is is pretty much you know almost everywhere we turn. You know, yeah, and not even I mean SaaS in a in a very application centric mode is I wouldn't say it's totally consumerized, but it's not. No. But SaaS in almost like elements of a business process. So SaaS to deliver um, video on demand. SaaS to um, SaaS to enable a business uh, sort of business process tool. Mm-hmm. So I saw a really interesting tool the other day, which was essentially business process as a service. Yeah, that's a really cool use of SaaS, which, to be quite frank, previously would have been the main the domain of an internal ERP system, whereas this had integration points all over the place and was essentially a cloud, you know, business process planning tool. And I thought that was a really smart thing to do. And it's just, yeah, definitely. Go on, go I on, think, Scott. Um, no, I was going to say, I, I, I 100% agree. And I think if you look at, for example, what Microsoft are doing around, you, 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 you following the theme of ERP, um, Microsoft around their CRM products is, you know, they've announced they're going to bring out something called Dynamics 365, which is, you know, a bit of their legacy CRM system plus some of their AX features and functionalities, etc. And I think what, what the vendors are starting to see, and uh, Richard touched on, you know, Oracle's acquisition of uh, Intuit, etc., is the vendors are starting to see, you, you've either got one set of vendors that just want to pivot to annuity, you know, and I'll use, you know, Symantec or Trend or one of those kind of vendors. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and to some degree, you know, IBM has some products that fit in that category where they recognize they've got a product, it's a fairly commoditized product, and I use, you know, Endpoint Antivirus as an example, uh, and they just want to flip that to an annuity subscription through its uh, stream. Uh, and then you've got the, the second type of vendor, which is, you know, uh, Richard mentioned uh, SAP and IBM and Oracle and Microsoft, similar, where actually they're identifying it's not just about um, a point solution for, for uh, to be delivered as a SaaS service. It's about that business process uh, and, and actually extending out beyond the single application of, of, of a service. Yeah, and I think that's a prime example of the evolution of, of SaaS. It's gone away from that point, this is going to fix your fill the gap. This is going to fix your CMS system. This is going to yeah. fix your CRM system. This is going to, you know, become much more, this is going to augment. This is going to integrate with. This is going to apply this piece of the puzzle. It's, it's a maturity thing. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's, a, it's an adoption thing where you, you feel comfortable to adopt as an end user. Um, more tooling that sort of creates a, a very agile, slick um, sort of pipeline of business process and from a from an end user perspective it makes a thousand times more sense i mean we, we brought this this point up earlier on when we were talking about hybrid applications managing the application has no no intrinsic business value delivering the results and and spending all that time that you would have spent managing servers and storage and uptime and networks and data centers in customizing those applications on the cloud to the point where they are absolutely what you want is is what it's all about now. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think it's slightly ironic. You know, I was looking at um, a piece on the top twenty SaaS um, providers uh, for twenty sixteen, and you know you could literally split them in half. You had half that were very much delivering a service or solution into line of business. So, so like, like you guys have just been saying, you know, CRM, ERP, financials, transaction management, marketing, call it what you want. 
Um, and then you have those that are still very much point technology um, services. So analytics, business process, cloud migration and management and security. And outside of those that I've just rattled off, that, 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 was, that was pretty much a fair description of that top 20. You know, it's, it's all, for me, it's, it seems it's, it's a way of, uh, it's getting that land into the enterprise. It's getting mm. that right, you know, getting that footprint in. So, you know, it's, it, it, it's strange. It's nobody's saying, nobody's postulating this nirvana of a single system based on the cloud to run a business from. It's all elements of the business process, elements of, yeah, that line of business function. It, it's yeah. all about hybrid. Yeah, but it's just been lifted up the value chain away from IS. Yeah, and that's absolutely what we're seeing. Yeah, and, and you know, I think it's almost a race from the vendors at the moment to to be that embedded partner for for the end users. And you know, hybrid is the word that everybody uses, and you know, and obviously can be interpreted in many different ways. You know, but but a true hybrid is a, is a seamless environment where. You know, a, a customer has access to services um, with the least amount of management as possible, and, and I think you know when, when you know they grew up with systems and they've had point products doing certain services, and then they've overlaid those point products with you know, management systems. And I think what SaaS enables you to do, and our vendors continue to acquire and leverage API technology, etc., is, is it decreases the amount of integration and administration required by the, the customer, so they can focus their efforts and actually driving outcomes and, and, and driving innovation. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because that was always the nirvana of cloud. Mm -hmm. I, don't think, I don't feel it was ever delivered with IaaS just because it was a, a very complicated platform to deploy at scale, reliably, securely. Um, I mean, uh, Scott, another question for you. You know, what what do you think the, the sort of consumer or, con or the consumerized vision of IS is at the moment? Is it, is it still, um, you know, a widespread opportunity for many, many sort of enterprises to, to get into? Or do you think that it's PaaS? Or do you think, actually, to be honest, everyone's just, just shortcutting do-it-yourself and starting to go straight to SaaS? I tell you what, you're being very, very, very politically correct there, because I was going to ask a very similar question to Scott, which was, is IS dead? Yeah, well, I think so. You know, my, my, my personal view is, and I'll answer Dave's question about the Richards. Um, <laughs> please but, do, uh, please do. That might just yeah, get us yeah, taken yeah. off the air if you answer mine. Yeah. <laughs> but I think you know, I think there is, there is some truth in what you're saying, Richard, because you know, IaaS is absolutely not dead, and uh, but I think the use cases for IaaS have changed. And mm. you know, if you know, when, when we speak to IBM, for example, Richard, you know, the successes that they have with software are big outsourced enterprise deals where essentially yeah. they're just selling software as a hosted service. Yeah. And I think, you know, I talk to lots and lots of service providers who are doing very, very well at IaaS. But but it's because they're not selling IaaS, they're selling outcomes that happen to be hosted on IaaS, whether yeah. it's their own or public cloud. And and I, and I think, you know, vendors that just want to sell IaaS and nothing else, I think absolutely will struggle. And, you know, I think they've got to, and if you look at what AWS and Azure as the kind of two market leaders um, you know, in that kind of IaaS PaaS space, what they do well is they both have PaaS, so they have specific use cases for IaaS, like DevOps, which is obviously we all know where AWS built its market mm -hmm. uh, saturation from. Um, but 
as they expand, it's, it's about those services, it's BI, it's database, and, 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 and I think that's really where the, uh, those, those integration points come in. Yeah, and it's interesting that you mentioned uh, DevOps, because actually often it's the, the DevOps companies that then run the SaaS services, and they're literally using IS Cloud to you know, develop and, and, and further progress their SaaS, deliver, their SaaS options. And I find that very interesting that, you know, if you look at a lot of the organizations today, they run on IaaS to deliver a SaaS service. In fact, I know, I'm sure I'm probably can be proven wrong a thousand times over and the older bandwidth mailbag is going to get full, but I can't think of any really super successful um, IaaS, uh, sorry, SaaS platforms, startup SaaS platforms that don't run on cloud. Mm, I mean, I'm sure there's, I can no. think of obviously the big, the big, big boys like Googles and Facebooks and those guys yep. who are obviously running their own data centers. But I can't think that Uber do. I can't think that Netflix do. I know no, Dropbox don't. don't. No. I so, I mean... Because that's part of the benefit of, you know, they're born in the cloud, so they don't have the constraints of, uh, of cash flow, you know, so that's how they scale so quickly. And there's, so, talk, and there's, you know, there's, there's talk of Rackspace moving their model away from their own data centres to... Well, yeah, AWS. they're going to become a support organisation. Yeah. So, so, I mean, you bring up a very good point there, um, Scott, around the, the major constraint that I see of any of our partners specifically adopting cloud, which is the, clash, the cash flow issues. Now... Two questions. Firstly, does that still exist? Is that still probably the single biggest prohibitor of what we would term today as a, a VAR, a traditional VAR, getting into that business? And B, what's the sort of, um, what's the typical end user that wants to go and move to this model look like? And, and once again, is that a typical end user that our VARs have today? And, and obviously, what can we do? To essentially help them to, to move move on. Yeah, so so under kind of finance and cash um, and operations. So ca- cash flow is not so much nowadays about. Well, actually, I've got to, I've got to get a load of cash to buy some kit to spin up some services. You know that that I think as a, as a you know is still something that partners can do. Yeah. Um, but but I think you know uh, a few years ago, uh, I, you know I. Uh, I've seen a guy in Arrow that's all with us. You know, use an expression which which still sticks with me today, which is, you know, if a partner's going to do that today, then they're either going to get big or niche, because if you can't do one of those two things, then you, you, there's no point in, uh, in, in investing cash to sweat some assets. So, I think the challenge has changed a little bit. So it's still cash flow, um, but there is various challenges within that. And what what I mean by that is, you know, every vendor, even in SaaS, has different uh, deliverable. Programs that are consumed, programs are how it can be consumed. You know whether they be annualised contracts, monthly agreements. You know cancelable by the hour, not cancelable at all, um, etc. So, so the, the cash modifications from a credit risk perspective, you know for, for the channel into end users, or indeed from a how do I motivate and incentivise the sales guys to sell this stuff, um, can can widely vary depending on the vendor technology program that's, that's, that's in place. Yeah. And I mean... How, how can we help, by the way, David? Just, sorry, just to come yeah, out, please you didn't say that. So, you know, we, we can help in a couple of different ways, I think. You know, one, you know, we are building out, you know, um, contractual frameworks and, and um, uh, contractual kind of legal advice to help partners overcome those kind of contractual elements. Um, and in terms of helping them monetize it, obviously we've got our capital 
Uh, and in the US, we're doing a lot more uh, programs that we're looking to bring into UK and Europe where we can, we can help people uh, with that cash flow. So, for example, um, you know, we can help uh, in two different formats. Either people, you know, partners can, if they need some infrastructure, and it could be, you know, storage is probably a prime example of where, you know, people still need to buy a lot of, you know, investment in storage, not necessarily in servers, something like IATS. And we can help them with finance programs so they can pay for that to consumption, even though it's a physical product. And, and the reverse, if they're buying a SaaS product, but on a contractual basis, we can help them realise the cash from that contract up from using our capital so they can realise the cash, but, the, but that customer and consumer can still realise the kind of flexibility of being able to pay on a monthly or quarterly basis. So that's a really interesting point. And, and how are we then... Because I'm, I'm all for that, but what I'm not for is then when the, or if, should I say, not when, if, that reseller then doesn't change their mentality. They use that money in the same way that they would use it as if it was a, a chunky upfront deal. How are we helping them to then reinvest that in a way back into their business, which helps them to grow that recurring revenue stream business rather than just further growing their um, you know, the existing product business. Because if we, if we sort of almost mask rev- recurring revenue streams as, mm. sort of, uh, as, as sort of upfront chunky margin, that's fine to help them to kickstart their business. But what are we doing to help them to maintain that path and build out a self-sufficient um, business where they don't have to have the cash up front? They can actually, their business yeah, is such question. a model where they can stretch it out over. Yeah, no, good, good question. And, and, and it's all about supplementing that, that revenue stream of other services and, you know, whether that's other cloud services, so helping them introduce, you know, net new incremental services to their customer so they can start to build that material stream in parallel, or whether that's, uh, and this is almost, you know, for me is a must, um, is, you know, helping them build out some form of managed service. And, and, and I think, you know, when people talk about managed service, in my opinion, it can get overcomplicated. And, 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 and for me, what managed service boils down to ultimately is doing something for a customer that they value and they'll pay for. Now, you know, so it doesn't have to be, when people think managed service, they think of a large, you know, um, systems integrator or all these larger service providers. But the reality is, you know, it could just be very simple having someone that will change, do some policy management for a customer when they require it. Um, so it's all about enabling the partner to, to build some more consultative managed service. And, and we've got a partner at the moment, actually, that, that's doing this, you know, uh, looking to do it in a very good way. You know, they're a, they're a licensing house and they're looking to offer some consultancy services around, you know, there is still license management required around SaaS and making sure that people optimise what they purchase and what, they, what, what services they access. So there is, you know, there is a different services don't have to necessarily be implementation or post-delivery. They can also be pre-delivery as well. Okay, that sounds really interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's <clears throat> certainly on, you know, I can only really speak from a, a level of experience around around RVM. You know, we, we are starting to see more and more partners start to, to bring, I suppose, into their portfolio services which are, I don't want to go as far as saying alien to them, but um, they may be a, a step away from the norm. And I think they've got to realise that you know what, if they're selling, say, analytics as a service or uh, business process as a service, they're, the, the commercial model is more than just that 
X as a service. It's you know it, it's deriving the values of you know building the dashboards out, scoping out the the repo, uh, you know the, the standard report reports needed. Um, as Scott mentioned, you know just just something as I want to say as mundane as policy management, but because it's quite you know it's quite essential. It's just you know being able to articulate to to an end client the, you know the value that that service wrap brings. And yeah. you know I think there's there's certainly a role for. Uh, for, for organisations like ARA to help with that, that education, that out of the possible, and then you know, help with after the after the education piece, the the enablement piece. Because I, you know, I, I think this when you look at some of the more entrenched traditional vendors, there's this rush to cloud, and you know, pardon the pun, do they have do they have the bandwidth in in geo? To you know, to be able to to drive that education and that that enablement, some some will, some I won't say will struggle, but again, it comes back to you know the, the scheduling the time to be able to go and do that. Um, you know, just back to an earlier comment that we said that we were talking about when you know you power it down to IaaS. So, yeah, I'll I'll go as far as saying you know we here in the UK from a IaaS perspective in in my area. We do not see people, we do not see resellers just turning off overnight from being a selling infrastructure, selling compute, mm-hmm. uh, to selling an IaaS. We just no. don't. You know, the, what we do see is we see people consuming IaaS, partners consuming IaaS to deliver a service. Yep. Now, I think it becomes a case of do, do you build it yourself? Because you know, it, it doesn't exist in a vendor today, what you're actually looking at delivering, or... Do you scope out what your value prop and your wraparound is going to be and deploy your pre-existing consultancy and support services accordingly and take something off the shelf or out of the vendor's DC, which is you know already pre-built and pre-wrapped? Now, the benefits to doing that is you know, if it's already been built and it's got ven- you know, that, that level of vendor investment behind it, then all right, you know, you've that level of assurance, you've... SLAs that are standard and you know mm. very well publicised, you can probably get to market quicker with it. Um, will you struggle to put your own stamp, your own USP on it? Well, depends. Yeah, if you if you if you've got a particular strong customer base in a particular industry uh, alignment or segment, then you know what you've still got IP there in that industry alignment. You know you're never going to find a big and a you know, big big vendor analytics or, or software provider that will have the the level of knowledge and the level of connections in a particular industry that that you will have. So it's I think an, yeah, there's not just the product knowledge. There's not just the well, right? Can I can I port from uh, from on-prem to cloud? But there's there's still those yeah the, those IP that that IP that you as a partner bring to bear. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, I think some partners will will make that leap up the value chain quite easily. For others, you know, I think that's where you know we we need to rely on people like Scott and, and yourself and you know yeah. the wider teams. Yeah, and I mean, Scott, as a percentage of our current reseller base, what sort of percentage are going and trying to invent, and what uh, what's percentage are trying to actually take something off off the the virtual cloud shelf and wrap some value around it and, and, and sort of take that to market? 
Um, I, I, I'd probably say you know, over eighty percent of partners are trying to add some IP to it rather than just box shift, to use that expression. And okay. um, mm-hmm. you know, I think um, even if you use something as you know potentially commodity as Office three six five, as an example, right? And, and the reason I say potential commodity is, yeah, I'll explain. So you know, if, if somebody just sells Office three six five purely as a hosted email and Office applications license then, you know, anybody can do that. And, and you can sell it, you know, cut, you know, X pound a user per month, turn it on and off when you want, SLA is owned by Microsoft, and, and, you know, you can essentially box shift Office 365. But, but, but really, what, you know, what partners are realising, you know, there's, a, there's clearly a big ecosystem of partners in the Microsoft world, and, you know, I think, you know, 99% of end users will consume some form of Microsoft products um, as a kind of general statement. And, and so what you find is that most partners are doing is they're, they're trying to add some value above and beyond just selling that license sale. So whether that's... And that value doesn't necessarily have to be all singing or dancing, but and Richard raised a good point earlier, actually, about verticals, which I touch on. But, um, but essentially, your know, partners will be, whether it's adding education to help to enable partners to, you know, to fully use that suite of products, whether it's upselling within that so that they get more features and they start using OneDrive and Skype and OneNote and... ESTN and all these other features. So, you know, you, partners could just go to market and box shift, which I think is, you know, what uh, a lot of the historic hosted exchange MSPs had built in the past. But I think even though those guys now have realised that, you know, there's no longer any money in just selling commoditized email. It's got to think outside that. And it's about enabling people and enabling outcomes. So. With Office, it's about you know enabling work, you know work anywhere with anyone uh, kind of strategy. Uh, and just on that uh, vertical piece, I think in my experience of working distribution, you know we we've always been asked by vendors in particular, you know, uh, oh, you know what partners work in what verticals. And and generally, I always say that you know if you kind of take a cross section of partners, 80%, I I believe in my opinion, 80% of our partners don't really have a vertical focus. They just know their customers and they and they sell technology solutions to meet challenges for the customers. But I think what cloud is doing is, you know, it's, it's enabling more people to take more types of services that drive outcomes, so BI, analytics, um, and, you know, ERP and all those kind of what I would call more advanced services that in the past the general, the general partner wouldn't have the capabilities or the information to go and deploy. It would be too complicated. So that complication is removed. But they are having to start to understand their customer challenges better. So they're certainly now to say, right, well, you're, you're in health, right, what are your challenges? Have you got any compliance challenges, any data sovereignty challenges, et cetera? Yeah. And they start to drive a more business conversation rather than a, you know, um, I'm a right to do pre-sales uh, 10 or 15 years ago. And, and those conversations in pre-sales were very much a, oh, you, you know, you want a multi-site cluster solution. It's very much a technology-based conversation, yeah. whereas now it is more about the, the customer challenges and how the software or the technology is being deployed and managed addresses those challenges. And this mirrors, this actually mirrors a lot of the topics we've covered in pretty much all of season one and, and quite a bit of season two so far of Arrow Bandwidth, which is, and I'm, I'm so pleased you've said this because it just essentially reinforces it's, it's not about the product anymore, it's about the outcome. I don't think whether it's on, and it's, it's great to hear you say this because it just proves and sort of reinforces the point that be it cloud, be it on-prem, be it software, be it hardware, be it services, it is about an outcome, an outcome first and foremost. 
and how it's delivered is insignificant. How it's delivered should actually be appropriate to the outcome. And at the end of the day, if the outcome is mobile, if the outcome is on demand, if the outcome is you know internet scale, actually cloud becomes an incredibly relevant and important part. Yes. If the if the it just yeah no brainer no brainer. And I'm pleased I'm pleased because at the end of the day. It means that another person is banging the bandwidth drum, or banging the arrow drum of solution distribution and outcome distribution, 100%. first and foremost. Awesome. So, Scott, on that bombshell, um, I, think, uh, I think we're almost there. So, thank you very, very much for coming on, and thank you very much for being our first ever telephone guest. No, my pleasure, and it would only be appropriate to be the, uh, the first person down into the cloud, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he's been saving that one, <laughs> He really has, yeah. Have you had that written down from the moment we invited you? He just literally wanted to drop it. I have thought of it right now. <laughs> yeah, right. It was funnier in my head than it was when I said it. So I, <laughs> I know, mate. I'll, I'll, oh, I'll, I don't know. I'll, I'll, give you, I'll give you nine out of ten, and that's more than Tom Daly got, so there I you go. Cool. <laughs> I, think that'll, uh, I think that'll strike a chord with the listeners. So, no, thank you very much, mate. Much appreciated. No and uh, yeah, next time you're down in London, let's do one in person. Yay! Speak soon. So, Speak soon, all man. it leaves me to is say thank you very much, Rich. My pleasure. Thank you very much, Hannah. I'm David Fern, and you've just uh, spent another half an hour listening to, hopefully, one of the best cloud podcasts you'll have ever listened to. Yeah. Oh.